All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a Tuesday edition of Crypto with English. For anybody in this space, it's very apparent that Miami, if it isn't already, is going to be the next Silicon Valley of the United States. And there, there is an incredible array of, pro, of just projects coming out of this one city and this one region of South Florida. So I have the distinct honor of introducing Olivia Ramos, the CEO and founder of DeepLock. So for anybody uh, who's very much into real estate and tech, you're hearing terms like smart cities, for instance, and there's projects going on all over the world. And here in the U.S., it seems to be emerging out of Miami. So Olivia, thank you very much for joining me on today's episode. Uh, I think your platform and your project may really transform real estate investing as a whole with uh with everything that i've read as far as your biography and everything regarding the features of the project that you're doing with deep blocks i am genuinely genuinely blown away so if you could introduce you. yourself briefly <laughs> anytime if you can introduce yourself briefly and kind of provide a preamble of deep blocks and how you came up with this idea Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here with you and, and for you, you to have interest in, a, in, in our work and to have this conversation. So DeepLocks uh, is, in essence, a, a software where you can canvas entire markets in minutes. Uh, that means you can look at a city and ask the city a question uh, specifically, for example, where can I build 200 units? And there's currently less than 2,000 square feet of building. So the, the software scans every single property. It already understands for every single property what the potential development is and what's existing. And it generates a, a short list uh, of properties that meet that requirement. That's the first aspect of the software. This is something that takes months of work, many analysts, to, to come imagine. together and canvas a city and we do it in minutes. And, and that's, uh, we're very proud of that. The software also allows you to select the property, look deeper into the property and it generates an automatic 3D model and financial model. So you can do the due diligence and preliminary feasibility also in, in a short amount of time. This usually take weeks, takes weeks of work with multiple disciplines, getting, you know, architects to get back to you, looking at zoning codes. Right. This can happen in, in a couple of minutes as well. Wow. Well, I have to say, uh, you know, growing up as a kid, you know, you know, enjoying movies like Blade Runner and Fifth Element and things along those lines, you know, seeing something like this really uh, makes me feel like we're truly living in the future. Um, this is, this is going to turn real estate, um, on its head and i by the way i mean this in a good way it's flipping the script as far as real estate investing and um i guess you could say going through the process of researching and acquiring information on on zoning and land values and and things like that what was the inspiration behind this project because this is very very ambitious and by the way i can only imagine the difficulty in just creating the let's say the initial mvp and doing beta testing you know, for, for something like this. So uh, tell me about that process. Absolutely. So the, the process started at Singularity University. I was at the Global Solutions Program 
and they combine, they, you know, it's super intense and they give you information on all the exponential technologies and all the global grand challenges. And my, my background is in architecture and real estate. So I fit into the global grand challenge of cities and, and housing and, and, and shelter. So then um, I, you know, I had a, a partner at the time, uh, Bernard Leon, he was from Singapore and he was really interested in lowering the cost of living. And he thought that by lowering the cost of housing, that could be done. Uh, so I thought, well, let me at least do a whiteboard of how real estate development works. And I did this giant whiteboard, everything from site analysis all the way to construction administration, who's involved, how are they connected, what's the logic? Right. And he looked at it and he said, well, there are these weak points, but all of it is indeed connected and therefore an AI system can do the whole thing. And when he said that, I knew that this would be my life passion and to create a single system that takes this process that sometimes can take years to yeah. refine what it is to build, not just where to build, but what, what to build and what's appropriate and efficient and affordable and, and sustainable. Um, this could be done in seconds, essentially. That's what we're going for. Wow. And so far, uh, how many cities have you mapped out with deep blocks? Because uh, I was on the website last night. It almost looks like you have half the country mapped out, you know, so to say. No. <laughs> so no, <laughs> but there, it's a lot. There, but it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. But, but right. there, there are over, there are almost 20,000 municipalities in the U.S. That, that, that's a lot. Um, we've we've uh, digitized 100 cities, 100 municipalities. There's still a lot of work to, to do. Uh, 100 municipalities are live. We have an additional 30 that are now being uploaded. But the beauty about what we do is we're using machine learning through the process, increasing the intelligence of those models in order to further and further automate the process of zoning extraction. Right now, even with just 100 cities, we're the largest uh, digitized zoning data provider. Yes, <laughs> it's a, yeah, we're the largest holder of digitized zoning data. Um, so this is something that hasn't been done before. And, and, and a really interesting application we can do on top of that is normalize uh, zoning across these cities, across the country. So then you could say, where can I build industrial? And although industrial is set in 50 different ways across all municipalities, you can find those sites instantly across all 100 cities. Uh, right. We're hoping to be in 700 cities by the end of 2023 with the help of machine learning. So we, it's, you know, it's a big, it, it's, we, we aspire to have the entire country eventually, but it's a long way to go. Right. And if you could be so kind um, for the viewers out there, and I'm getting some DMs right now, would you mind explaining what machine learning is, especially because this is a uh, term that's thrown out uh, very common, very frequently in uh, tech news and tech coverage? Yes. So machine learning is the process of training a, Training us, uh, let's say, uh, training an algorithm uh, to understand the relationships between data points. So, if you can generate, if you can design an algorithm yourself, uh, you don't need machine learning. But if you have many, 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 many fields or many, many streams of data, and you want to find the correlation between them. So I'll give you an example. Um, sure. So we're, we want to figure out what residential rates or, or multifamily rates per square foot are in any, uh, in any census tract. 
but we only have this data in let's say 20 cities or we only have the manpower to collect this data in 20 cities we can train the machine to understand the relationship between demographic data and rents and so we give it this is the demographic data and this is the rent in all those you know 20 cities hopefully a lot more but just to, to right for the sake of example then it is trained to understand it generates its own algorithm to input demographic data and output rent right wow so yeah. when you give it a demographic data point from any other city it will give you an output right now that's you know very simplified right so it's a very simple way to see it you want to give it a lot more things than just you know an a simple input and, and to get a simple output, we, we want to give it construction costs, land values, anything that that it can then strengthen that algorithm so that you have more certainty of that output, which is dollar per square foot. So um, essentially is a way to design an algorithm that you can't just you know do on a whiteboard that it there are too many correlations for right uh this you know this algorithm to be designed by by a person right by the way that is a very good explanation and that is a great example of machine learning so thank you very much for that so with deep blocks could you kind of laundry list the uh parameters uh so to say when i guess you could say using this software so i guess we're talking about you know probably you know zoning codes and ordinances for instance probably like a average of rents in the in the locality so to say probably things like um uh tax um i guess you could say the uh, local taxes so to say real estate taxes and things like that so um if i was to use this uh i guess you could say this product right now and i let's say wanted to figure out the next spot worth um investing in as far as you know real estates whether i wanted to build let's say condos apartments or something like that what information will this um provide to me when i'm using deep blocks yes great question so there, there are two aspects to that one is deciding where to invest and two is deciding what to um what to build there so the first part is we're, we're getting really good at this first part, which is saying, what are the areas in these cities that have, for example, a, a land constraint, which means- right. Like some sort of covenant has, or like, um, I'm sorry, go on. No, no, it, it simply means most of the land has been built out already. So, okay, got it. So there are less opportunities. You can imagine something like Manhattan has fewer right. opportunities to right. develop <laughs> than Homestead, Florida, right? So, so then we, we're first using zoning data uh, to, to find these opportunities for land compression, which means this is an opportunity to buy like immediately. There, there's a lot of competition. There's an increase in population. There's an increase in land value. There's an increase in, in it, there's been a his, history of construction uh, leading up to this point. And those data points haven't been put together before, especially in combination with zoning, which gives you that land compression uh, okay. component. Yeah, right. Um, so, for example, you might say, well, there hasn't been a lot of construction there lately, uh, but the reason is there's barely any land left. So whatever you build it actually lowers the risk of investing in that area. Wow. So these are the combination. These are the conversations that we want to have with the data that we've digitized 
And we're putting that together for large players that want to grow across cities and find these opportunities of potential next boom markets. Uh, we also are looking at history. I'm, di I'm digressing a little bit. To, uh, I no, please. No, this is great. No, this is great. Please. <laughs> so we want to study this data 50 years back, maybe right. even in some cases 100 years back, and say what happened that made Soho Soho? What happened that made Miami Beach Miami Beach? And wow. then be able to, to find those same patterns and predict the next boom markets. Uh, but we think zoning data is crucial for that. So Absolutely. in terms of what you, what you get with our software is you're able to look at this data. You're able to look at an area, let's say now you've identified an area of interest. It's the census tract that has this land compression, has this combination right. of data points that you understand as you know valuable and and you know everybody will have their own thesis on investment but let's say you understand this is an area and then you can ask the city well in that area there's maybe 10,000 properties which one fits my development criteria right so then the software scans those depending on your query and it gives you those uh handful of sites wow. that meet your development criteria that's the part that would take many months uh, to, to go through one at a time, understand depending on land size, what's existing, what's the zoning. You, I mean, some developers do this. They literally have a team and they do one by one and canvas that right. entire area. So we do that already. It's done in months. And so you, you, get, you have a short list and then you generate different scenarios on that and see what would be uh you know what can you pay for that for it to make right. sense what do you build and at what price would it make sense and are those uh assumptions reasonable so in terms right. of what's included uh because you mentioned taxes you mentioned income you mentioned so in on that project level it's it's a back of the envelope and the assumptions that go into a back of the envelope is super simple it's income minus expenses minus vacancies is net operating income you divide that by the cost of the project, which includes the land cost, the construction cost, wow. and the soft cost, and you have your return on cost. And the return on cost is different than an internal rate of return. The internal right. rate of return takes you over a long period of time. Let's take a 10-year uh, projection, but a return on cost is a one-year snapshot. And it's really a way to filter through a lot of options and a lot of properties um, without too many predictions on the future. It's just saying, you know, how, how do these compare in a one-year snapshot? Uh, and, and then you can make a better decision on site selection, which is probably the most important thing in development. Wow. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, for the viewers out there, I cannot reiterate more how much time this project saves for any individual or company trying to get into real estate investing. These processes, like Olivia said, take months and even those processes alone it is very easy to miss some of these minor details which have very very big impacts when essentially uh coming up with values and you know ascertaining where the next you know real estate market boom will be so i have to ask you olivia with this kind of project why did you decide to go the entrepreneurship route? Why did you decide to create your own company? And the reason why I ask this, because having a product and a project like this, I would imagine it would be very easy for you to, let's say, um, you know, join a larger company and, you know, for kind of, um, you know, as some sort of executive 
and kind of just, you know, for lack of a better term, just kind of put your feet up on the, on the desk and be like, okay, you know, I, I made something great. I can just kind of coast from here. Whereas, you know, the entrepreneurship journey, other than this, you have to worry about so many other things at the same time too. So I'm kind of uh, wondering what was your, what was your thinking and what was your journey so far? That's a super interesting question. And, you know, everything that we build has to help an existing need, ha has to solve an existing problem. The existing problem is speed. People need to be faster, more efficient. Yeah. We're making analysts 10x as productive. This is a fact. And we need to do that in order to continue to, to, to have momentum towards a moonshot. But being an entrepreneur allows you to have a moonshot in the first place. And what yeah. we want to do is an AI that uses, for example, biomimicry techniques to understand exactly what would be um, the most efficient or the most affordable or the most sustainable product for any specific part of any city. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you're in Miami. In Miami, mangroves are the optimal uh type of, of, of tree of, of for, for the coast, right? Because it protects the fish, it protects the birds from hurricanes, it sucks up toxins, it could live on water. It's like this ideal city in, in this type of environment. Maybe our buildings should be modeled like mangroves. And maybe we should right. allow, we, we're all afraid of, you know, sea level rise. Right. And it's really just, we're going back to what it was before. It was, this whole thing was a swamp. So through biomimicry, we can generate optimal um, building solutions that are off the grid, sustainable, wow. and safe to the specific environment. Now, I'm not saying this is going to happen anytime soon, right? This is a right. dream that many other people will pick up. And I think that's where we're essentially moving towards. And, and we can only move in that direction, whether we actually get there or not, or just inspire the next group of entrepreneurs to get there if we're entrepreneurs ourselves, um, right. or if we partner with a big company that has similar goals of extreme sustainability and extreme um, you know, efficiency in the way we, we build our cities. Right. So I have a question from that. So could this technology detect and deduce, let's say, vulnerable vulnerabilities to like, let's say, natural disasters in cities, just kind of based on what you're talking about. So I'm thinking, you know, actuaries might want to uh, take a look at this technology as well. So talking about the uh, comparison between, you know, mangroves and kind of the ecosystem of Miami and modeling buildings off of that, which I think is a great idea. Could this also detect which areas of, let's say, Miami or any other city could be more susceptible to things like hurricanes or flooding or um, anything like that? Yes. Yeah, so our technology, I, I, I think, think of our technology as like a marketplace where something like that can be plugged into. So in order to understand how susceptible we are to a hurricane, we need to understand our infrastructure. Right. And for example, that's not a layer that we currently have today. And in some cases, that layer is not available for for security measures. You don't want a potential attacker to understand where all your infrastructure is. So good point. Right. Not all of that is available to the public, but I think there are ways to to collaborate with municipalities and to collaborate with cities to to model the future strains 
of an infrastructure. If we continue to build in these areas and there's some kind of minor uh, infrastructure mishap or collapse, um, this, these will be the consequences. And therefore, right. these are potential solutions to make sure that the people and the surroundings and, the, and, and everything around that is safe during a time like that. In my personal opinion, I think understanding that can promote uh, R&D towards sustainability, right? right? Uh, and, and, in, and in my opinion, it, it's about making buildings autonomous and able to detach from that infrastructure, because if there is such a collapse, then, you know, it's, it's, cri it's a crisis at that point. And we've right. seen that in, in other cities. But yeah. right now, we can begin to find inefficiencies in the zoning where we can tell cities this area will not attract any investment because the return based on the zoning, the way it's been designed, does not allow for, for uh, the proper development. And, and this, you've seen this in, for example, Wynwood. Wynwood was rezoned the entire area. Right. Yeah, because you right. couldn't make any money on that particular D1 zoning or D2 zoning. So everything was turned into T5. And that's just like a too, maybe too detailed, but it's an example of um, how studying this at a large scale can help cities increase productivity and, and bring in investments because they can guarantee with zoning that those, people, you know, those investors will make a profit on wow. development. So um, I have a question too. So using this technology, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm using the um, you know proper terminology. So if I was a real estate investor, could this technology also tell me whether I need to seek a variance or not? So let's say if I, I'm looking to acquire a property or if I already have a property, and if I want to, let's say, increase its value, could it? Could I, um, I guess you could say, derive that from the information that this project tells me? So I'm like, okay, I have this building in, in such and such district. However, if I get this variance, it's going to give me like a better view of maybe, let's say, the ocean or downtown or something like that. Could I, um, could I use the technology to, let's say, you know, figure that out or ascertain that? So right now, the technology includes the base zoning layer. So okay. the, what you can do by right. And it also and it is now beginning to include overlays and bonuses and, and right. things like that. Um, however, the technology allows you to explore anything. So yeah. it doesn't limit you to those zoning restrictions because we learned that early on, we, we at first limited and then they were like, no, 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 there's so much room for negotiation. Right. And depending on, you know, what I bring to the community, I might be able to get, you know, a certain amount of increase in FAR or increase in, in density. For example, the city of Miami has a great program where you could double your density if you bring in certain percentages of affordable housing. So these are things that could be studied with our software. And the important yeah. part about that is you could do rapid prototyping on these variances or um, things that are allowed by warrants or by exceptions so that you know whether it's worth it or not to go into that conversation with a municipality. Sometimes you think that's what you want. You spend six months just having a conversation and you realize there was a way to do it by right that didn't oh, require okay. you know, all of right. that back and forth. Awesome, so I just got another DM from a viewer right now. Um, and he's asking, uh, the mapping, how are you able to map the cities? Yeah, so um, a lot of municipalities have 
uh, parcel level data uh, okay. because they use that to, to do taxes and appraise uh, property values for tax purposes. So this, and, and also every, there has to be a centralized record of what are, what are the, the boundaries of each property. So that, that's in one place. Uh, in another place, you have the zoning documents. Uh, and those are PDFs, and we've trained a team, and we're using machine learning to extract that information uh, so that we can layer that on top of the parcels. And we also layer opportunity zones, uh, market rates, locations of businesses and schools and things like that. And we want to bring in hundreds of layers. We're collaborating with, with a team that's doing permitting data, and that's the only thing they do. So we are a place for them to be able to integrate it into a larger set. Um, but we use uh, QGIS, which is an open source uh, mapping software to be able to combine these layers. Uh, for a long time, we, we've been using Mapbox. We're you know, soon moving into our own backend uh, mapping infrastructure. Uh, but there are great tools out there to explore uh, geospatial information, and we've used it all to to kind of bring it together and, and build our own um, software. Awesome. And I have another DM from a viewer. She's asking, this looks fascinating. Just curious, what is biomimicry? Awesome. Um, so biomimicry is the studying natural processes or natural architecture, and then seeing how that could be applied to materials or to buildings. Uh, uh, we haven't seen that too much in architecture and, and the way I, uh, I'm thinking about it. I'll give you a quick example. Uh, we have, I have a friend in a lab in Israel and they've been, they were wondering why a bird nest uh, did not have any bacteria inside the nest. So they're trying to figure oh, wow. out, was it the way it was built? Uh, you know, what, what kept these like, you know, tiny birds uh, safe from bacteria, and they realized it came from the structure of the saliva itself. So the saliva has a labyrinth-like structure that doesn't allow the bacteria to get to the other side. So they're now generating like different plastics or, or different types of materials with that structure, which would allow for really safe environments um, that would, you know, that would be uh, deterred by by bacteria. So. It's, it's understanding these systems, teaching um, an AI, essentially um, how, to, you know, how to build with that system, like what is the logic behind that system, and then creating new products uh, based on that logic. Wow, awesome. And I have uh, another viewer asking, she's asking, I really enjoy this. I really enjoy this so far. Um, if I was to get into blockchain and real estate, where would I start? Courses or certifications, et cetera. So there's a lot going on in blockchain and real estate right now. And, and I'm, glad, I'm glad that was brought up. Um, and it really depends on what the interest is. Real estate has so many different disciplines within it. So are you interested in uh, design? Are you interested in the sec security of things? Uh, for example, um, now we're putting titles in the blockchain. And when we do that, we're not going to need title insurance because right. it's safe. And the whole idea about bringing blockchain technology into real estate is making it safe, making it secure, trusting 
that when you do a transaction, that transaction is final and, and, and recorded and accessible and, you know, nobody can change it. So it really depends. I, I would find, you know, what your passion is in real estate and, and where uh, blockchain is being implemented and, and learn as much as possible. But it's uh, in a lot of ways, it's, it's fairly new in terms of like actual implementation, not in terms of technology. And, and so it's really interesting. I think there's a lot of opportunities there. Right. And as far as your journey, Olivia, um, you have a very fascinating background. So could you talk about your time at Columbia University and some of the things you did afterwards? Yeah. So Columbia was amazing. Um, it was, you know, I learned more about solving problems at a massive scale, um, more than I did actual architecture. And, and really, you had the choice. There, I'm sure there are a lot of people who really learned a lot of architecture. But I focused on large systems, urban systems. Uh, and and that was that was my passion. And, and it gave me a platform to 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 take you know, classes and to have those conversations. When I graduated, I realized um, that the architect did not make a decision on the projects. Oh. So I was super upset because I had spent, you know, seven years in, right. you know, four years in undergrad, three years in grad, and it didn't occur to me that the developer made all the decisions. So I decided to get a second master's in real estate development so that I can, you know, gain this power of making decisions on what to build. Right. So I went and did a second master's at the University of Miami. I knew Miami was the place where I wanted to work, so I thought it would be a great combination to do the master's there. And here I worked in development and construction and architecture in brokerage. And I really just wanted to put it all together. I wanted to do it all myself. Yeah. Um, and right before I was about to get investment for my first development project, uh, which I was super happy about, I got accepted to the DARPA Innovation House with the Department wow. of Defense to design big data navigation software. And it was they were so confused by our application that they <laughs> let us go in. Um, but it was, it changed my world in terms of what was available in technology. It was a focus around big data. And after that, I realized I was never going to do architecture in its conventional sense that there was something really important in the technology and the big data and the ability to streamline and optimize our processes. Wow. And, you know, going through this program and afterwards, were there any architects or designers in this space that particularly influenced you uh, to pursue this? Um, so, I mean, so Rem Kohas uh, is one of my favorite architects and forever he's had a, a side uh, office that was about experimenting with generative design. And, 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 and I've always been a big fan of, of architects that have tried to, to move towards technology and to use technology. Um, so, so yeah, I could, I could see that. I think it's mostly been used on the side of aesthetics uh, and maybe a lot of people sure. would be against what I'm saying right now. That's my opinion. I think in the way I'm thinking about it in terms of biomimicry, it's really on the internal workings of a building, less so Got than it. the external expression right. of the building. Right. Got it. That is, uh, that's, that's incredible. So, you know, when putting together, you know, this project, uh, did you foresee that Miami was going to be the new 
you could say Silicon Valley or really the tech ecosystem of really the future of the United States, whether it's, you know, Web3, blockchain and everything else coming out of that, because, you know, I speak with other you know, colleagues in this space. I'm not shocked, but some of them are, you know, especially if they're, you know, based out of Palo Alto and San Francisco or even New York City. I don't know if it's a hubris or, or something like that, but for some people, it seems like it's kind of taken them off guard. My thinking was because I used to live in South Florida. Why not Miami earlier? You know, so to say. So I kind of wanted to know what uh, what your thoughts were. Yeah, I think I mean, I think it's been a really nice, um, maybe not surprise, but a, a really nice event at, at how quickly uh, we've gotten to to this point. And, you know, when I when I moved from Silicon Valley to Miami, when I, we moved Deep Blocks to Miami in 2017, uh, you had a bunch of investors being like, unless you move to Silicon Valley, we can't invest in you. Wow. Or, you know, Miami companies were valued way lower than Silicon Valley companies. It, it's still the case in, in many ways. But, um, you know, the last, I guess, five, seven years have, have seen a huge transformation. There's been a lot of investment uh, yeah. in the city. Before this boom, there's been a lot of investment in infrastructure for entrepreneurship and, and co-working spaces and funding for training and funding for programs to help entrepreneurs have the vocabulary, have the network. And, and, and that's been a long time coming. Uh, yeah. and, and it's been a, a really great to see. And now, that there's this tons of influx of capital because of COVID, because it's Florida, because it's just an amazing place to live. There is the infrastructures in place to allow for this capital to be put to good use. Wow. And, you know, what I keep hearing from individuals who are moving down to Miami, especially from colder areas like New York City, Boston, things like that, it's really the work-life balance. You know, you have the nice weather, you have the beaches, you have the nightlife, and you also have the things to do, you know, during the day. So, you know, especially coming from colder areas, it seems like you can have an equal, if not greater success down there while also being healthier at the same time, too. You can go cycling all year. You can uh, you can do all different types of athletic activities all year round and things like that. So, you know, I'm very happy to see uh, the success of Miami and kind of the um, the new frontiers it's um, it's achieved as well. And, you know, it's not just Palo Alto anymore. It's not just New York City. You know, there's uh, other rich ecosystems out there and we're seeing it um, unfold before us right now. So, you know, we all know the entrepreneur's journey can be very, very difficult. It can be isolating. You know, it can be frustrating. It can be stressful. So if you can kind of go through, what were some of the low points when trying to, you know, assemble this great project together? And then, you know, in contrast, what were some of the high points? Yeah. So I think there's, there are a lot of lessons that, that we, we had to learn and, and, um, and I, I love sharing them because if, you know, oh, if you. I knew those before, <laughs> I would have feel the same way, right? our success. <laughs> Lesson number one is, you know, when you have an idea and it, it, it could be a transformational idea, the only people that will invest in you are people who really understand the market, especially early on. At least that was our experience. So we spoke with 100 investors before we got our first yes. And, and that I think it's a low point. Like you have this idea, you think it's going to change the world. And one after the other, 100 times it's a no. And you're just like, you know, what is going on? Like, I really believe in right. this. So 
you also have to have this sense of like, I'm going to do this no matter what. In any way or form, I'm going to make this happen. And if you don't have that, and if you don't think that this is what you're meant to do, and this is, if you don't do this, you're going to be super upset with yourself and life. Right. You're not going to get through those 100 no's until you find that yes. And we realized that the yes came from people who understood real estate development. And that's not a lot of people. And certainly right. it's not everyone that has capital to invest. Right. So now we, we like narrowed down. We're only speaking with investors that have a background in real estate or funds that have LPs in real estate. And then we raised the first million much faster <laughs> after that, once we realized that. Uh, wow. So I think lesson number one and low point number one was how do we get the right investors for this? And and that's a good question, you know, actually. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So that's one. The other one is making a team and understanding what your values are. Like there are tons of talented people that are not a good fit for your day to day, your style of, of your personal uh, style. And we have a team that we're all on the same page about transparency honesty, over communication. We're here to solve a problem. We're able to have critical dialogues. And, you know, and that's, you know, we, we, we protect that above all. So right. we've had a few cases, super talented people that just were not a good fit. Um, right. Or maybe had a more competitive edge within the team uh, rather than a collaborative edge. So things like right. that. Right. Um, became really important because one bad seed in that ecosystem can ruin the entire vibe and productivity will fall and it's just like it it could it could domino we've had I a can, few of those low points where we've had to like we need to get rid of this person just it's right. just not a good fit right you know i, I think the uh, the founding team and having a really a cohesive unit of like shared values and really um you know compatible personalities is particularly uh important so um you know during this process um what were some of your proudest moments like what were some of the moments like specific moments you reached were like okay this can really work this is coming to life right now like i guess you could say what were some of the signs so to say that you were going in the right direction well, I mean, raising money is always a good validator. And yeah. and I, I know there are a lot of startups that bootstrap and do it from their own money and don't want investments. But for me, getting investment is it's other people are trusting that you're on the right path. Right. So when That's we every time we raise more money is is one of those moments where like, okay, we're still on the right path. People still believe in our moonshot and believe in what we've built so far. And, and every step of building the software, I mean, my background is not in, in computer engineering. So like really having to communicate with an engineering team and, and you know, have this vision come to life, every feature that we make, everything that we, that, that, you know, we put together and it works and people use it and they find it valuable is one of those moments, you know, and, and that's, right. the, those are the best. Right. And, you know, it kind of makes me wonder, you know, uh, you know, when it comes to real estate and real estate investing, um, how come there aren't more projects like this out there? And by the way, this is totally anecdotal, but looking for something comparative here, I, I don't see it out there. Like, uh, you know, for instance, so, um, you know, what you're doing, you know, in my mind really stands out a lot. So uh, if you can kind of maybe, uh, you know, shed some light on that, so to say, like, I would imagine 
that your project and these type of things would have like already been the status quo, you know, so to say. Is the real estate industry kind of, uh, in some ways, a slow-moving machine when it comes to, you know, technology? Is it is it kind of like a le- are there legacy systems in there, so to say, that people are still kind of uh, hesitant to move out of or adapt away from? Yeah, I think there's a lot. There's a lot going okay. on. Um, one, the industry it seems to be or has been historically based on a bunch of verticals. And each vertical has its own degrees and its own language and their own software. So I think combining everything right. uh, is not super intuitive, maybe. You know, I, I, we did it because I've been obsessed and I got multiple masters and I worked in all the disciplines and I've been obsessed about combining it all into one thing right. for 25 years. So. I think the intention, the original intention of a founder makes a big difference in terms of what the product ends up being. There's also a lot of pressure for technology to be really, really good at one thing. And even with us, we've had to kind of figure out, like, after everything we've built, what is this one thing that can take us to the next level? Even though we want this AI to do the whole thing, like, for us, is you can canvas an entire market in a minute. Like that's the thing we're right. really good at. Uh, so, but it's taken us a long time to be like, okay, let's just do one thing really, really well. Um, luckily, that thing encompasses everything that that we want to put together. But there, there's those the two things like it's hyper right. like fragmented and also pressure to do one thing really well. Otherwise, you're not going to do anything. And and we've kind of uh, bypass both of those things and we're wow. able to combine a lot of things that like normally people wouldn't think about combining. Right. And I think you put it better. I guess so. Uh, um, what I was trying to say was I haven't seen really other startups and other companies combine all of those aspects and attributes the way you have, so to say. So thank you for, you know, thank you for answering, you know, a- answering that. So, um, you know, like I said, I am beyond, I am beyond like uh, impressed and I'm very curious to see uh, how how great this project is going to uh, play out. So I was kind of wondering, what is your personal philosophy? Because I would imagine with this project and how relatively visible you are, because um, you know, from what I've seen, you know, in my research, there must be a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs, especially in architecture, who may be coming up to you at various points. Maybe you're looking for some sort of mentorship, or at least just asking advice. Could you uh, share some of those moments? and experiences and what you have uh, kind of told people. Hmm. I'm trying to think. I mean, when, when I speak at conferences and stuff, I, I do get uh, students that come up to us and we actually have a summer internship every summer. We've had over 40 interns now Very nice. of aspiring entrepreneurs in whether it's tech or the industry or just understanding startups. I think, you know, everybody wonders like, what does it take to start my own thing? You know, yep. what does it take to bring this idea to life? And I think it just takes like being upset enough that it doesn't exist. You know, if, <laughs> if you're if you're trying to bring something to market that, and that's another point that I wanted to make earlier is you have to make sure there's a market that wants to buy this, that you're solving a real problem. So, so I always tell them that like, make sure that the problem is real and people are willing to pay for you to solve that problem. That is not just in your head because that could happen a lot. Like, Oh no, this is a moneymaker. This is, 
People yeah. are going to love this. Everyone right. is going to love this. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Like, those are very few cases. Like, you have to go out there and experiment and ask people, you know, if you had this, how much would you pay for it? Like, very cold. So wow. understanding that there's a market for your idea, being upset enough that even if you lost, even if you, you know, didn't make it happen, will you still try? You know, right. like it has to be something that you're really upset about. Otherwise, it's, it's not going to take you through the hard times. You're just going to be like, well, I'll just try something else. Right. So those two things are super necessary. And, and yeah, and if you're a true entrepreneur, you're not going to be able to hold a job. Like I was never able to hold a job for more than six months. I just can't. But you, but you know what? Um, you know, from what I know about you in this interview, I would imagine that I think A, I think a lot of traditional jobs probably aren't interesting or stimulating enough at the very least, because many jobs, they become monotonous and almost robotic over time. And I think if you have all of these ideas and all of these, you know, ambitions, you know, kind of being kind of a, you know, nailed to a desk all day, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not the greatest use of your time or potential. So trust me, I totally, you know, I totally get it seriously. And, you know, in fact, with these kind of ideas, you know, you're somebody who deserves to really be an entrepreneur doing your own thing and creating things instead of just kind of, you could say, going through the motions, you know, each day. And that is the case with many blockchain leaders who've uh, come on the show. And that's exactly what they've said. They said, uh, you know, your traditional jobs, I just can't stand it. You know, I, I need to, I need to do something. I need to make something. I need to figure out things for them for myself and, you know, actually have the, the moving parts in my hands and kind of, you know, interact with those. So, I, I think that's very, very enlightening, and in fact, that's a common theme um, I, I come across. And by the way, I share the uh, I share the same exact you know sentiment you know regarding that too. So trust me, I even feel personally like over time, like I remember other jobs I had, I feel like I kind of had to fake it for a while. So I'm like, I have to kind of pretend, mm. you know. I'm like, okay, yeah, this is fine, you know. So you know, don't show too much like uh, frustration or or maybe uh, you know um, or, or discontent, you know, on my face. But it's like. I need, I need to, I need to do something on my own, you know, and, and that would be the recurring theme. I'd tell myself, I'm like, this, this isn't, this isn't enough. I need to be moving. I need to be doing something faster or more. Um, I guess you could say more engaging than this. Well, and, and, you know, I think that's something to think about as the company grows and you begin to employ more and more people that, you know, you, you want to make sure that you don't produce the kind of environment that you couldn't stand. In right. your corporate job right. and and so i make sure everyone on the team is working on things they've never done before That's they have good. to figure it all out uh they have to come up with solutions and and you know fight through it and and that's almost like every position on our team is an entrepreneur position because this that's hasn't great. been built before it hasn't been put together before so you need to figure it out because you know that's <laughs> there's right. nothing there's no other way to build it Right. So I think if corporations would think that way and allow people to disrupt within um, that, I mean, they then entrepreneurship wouldn't be as popular. Probably. Right. No, very well said. And I have to wonder, too. So I would imagine on this journey, putting together deep blocks, there had to have been a line or a group of naysayers you've met along the way who are saying, Olivia, what are you doing? This project couldn't possibly go anywhere. This is way too abstract, out of the box for most people. You're wasting your time. I can I can imagine you've come across like um, you know those kind of individuals. And by the way, often these could be family, 
friends, you know, colleagues, you know, so I, I was wondering, do you have any stories that kind of touch upon that? Because a lot of entrepreneurs, they almost always have like, you know, one or two very, very fascinating stories. And often it was somebody close to them who are kind of almost like, yeah, you, you know, you really shouldn't be doing this. So I'm kind of wondering if that's the case uh, on your end. Well, I've, I have two, I don't want to say who it was. Right, no names, of course. Anybody, right. But like, yeah. I have two two short stories um, okay. that, that, that fit that. One is when we just started, uh, you know, there are a series of people we really admire that said, well, you're just going to make developers richer. And, oh. and that was one of the biggest, um, which is one, a validation for the business. <laughs> right. I was going to say, that's kind but, of a left-handed compliment, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But we had to prove that this technology can also generate optimal housing for even informal housing to right. optimize even the simplest of structures with best lighting, best, uh, you know, harnessing of the, of the, of the resources around it. And that's where, you know, that's where we want to go. So we had to prove that. And, and that became a really good way to build vocabulary on our vision. Um, but that, right. that was a harsh one to hear. And another one was I, I was offered a, a job at a university doing research. It was a really luxurious position. And I was like, well, I have a full-time job. And they were like, no, no, no. But this other company is already doing that. Like kind of drop it. Oh, and I was yeah. like, mm, no, this is different. This is different. Right. And, and this is, you know, you, I need to give this a chance. So it, there was a lot of talks of like, this already exists. This already exists. Like one, and, and, um, you know, and that's hard for an entrepreneur to be like, and, and you have to prove why you're different. And we have, we have proved how we are different. Wow. That's great. And for deep blocks, um, what are some of the current and upcoming projects um, that you all are working on? Of course, what you're comfortable, you know, discussing anyway. Yeah, no, no. So we, we've decided to always be an open book. Like our demo is open to any, anyone to see. We have webinars every week, live webinars for everyone to see the software. Uh, we're not afraid to show what we're doing right now. Uh, I'm excited uh, to, it, it's a little bit maybe boring, but we're working on internal processes to hyper speed up the, the zoning extraction to be able wow. to do hundreds of cities and update those cities in real time. So right. that's the one thing that we're all very excited about. And the other thing is uh, we're now looking at data across cities, not just within cities. So being able to standardize zoning vocabulary across cities and being able to then do multi-city searches or compare census tracts across cities and be able to, especially for operations that are across different markets to say, okay, these are the three areas across these 100 cities right. where the most opportunity is in the next five years or the next 10 years. So we're doing very high level uh, analysis, which is super exciting. Um, wow. And it's only because we've done the kind of groundwork to right. populate every single parcel with all of its data. So then we can kind of rise above and look at high level analysis. And, and I think that that's going to also make us different than any potential competitor. And for the viewers out there, will uh, you and your company and your partners, will you um, be appearing at any of the uh, major upcoming blockchain and tech conventions this year? I hope so. Um, that's, those things happen almost last minute, but 
Right. Yeah, we, as often as yeah. <laughs> we want to really just learn from from the great companies that are going and, and have conversations on how are we moving towards uh, implementing blockchain and and so yeah, absolutely. You'll probably find us there. Good stuff. And if you can kind of um summarize what is your personal philosophy i know we touched on a, th a few things of uh you know perseverance and i would have to say genuine deep faith and belief in in what you're doing but if you were to kind of like give one or two sentences that kind of sums up let's say the the tau or the way of uh, olivia ramos here and by the way because you're doing something that's very brave it's very bold what would you say to people as far as like kind of your inner compass and what it uh what it says yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if this is sounds a little crazy, but like, um, I I believe, and you see it in history. Like, ideas are put uh, in our minds um, sometimes at the same time, and that's why you see technologies even before there was communication across countries being developed in right. places where there's no way that they had a conversation. So, I believe that you know what we're doing is kind of has been given to us has been available yeah. to us and my daily practice i i meditate over an hour a day wow. and and i try to connect with that and kind of uh stay on course with you know what the impact we want to have and what you know what we want to build and make sure that we're still kind of moving towards that north star and right. and you know i don't see this company as mine and the team feels the same way. This That's is kind great. of bigger than us. It, it's yep. going to happen with or without us. This is the way we move towards optimization of cities. We're very grateful and humbled to be part of it. And so if we keep that attitude and, and we continue to feel like we're being guided through our ideas and through our instincts, um, it's, it's a pretty nice flow of events. That's great. And I have to say, I think with um, what I've just heard right now, you know, your beliefs, your philosophies, what you're working on, I think that these are the ideal ingredients for a successful team and for a successful company. So I have absolutely no doubts I'm going to be seeing more of deep blocks, um, you know, taking up, you know, perhaps the lion's share of coverage in this space, you know, in the in the very, very near future. But listen, Olivia, thank you thank so you. much for coming on today. This was very, very enlightening. And, uh, you know, for anybody in blockchain, and by the way, anybody who's in blockchain and real estate and looking to kind of simultane simultaneously enter those two spaces at the same time, um, this episode alone should, uh, th this has the subject matter to be taught at a university, you know, Olivia, based on your explanations, you know, so to say. So I think some of these more denser concepts, you summarize and articulated them very, very nicely and very smoothly. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing what Deep Blocks is going to accomplish this year. And by the way, I'm going to try out the software tonight as well, because, uh, you know, even somebody who's outside of, you know, real estate development, I look at this and I'm like, this is great. I've yet to see something that combines all these aspects um, of data when looking at a neighborhood, when looking at a municipality or a city and putting it into really one place so uh i'll be keeping a close eye on uh on essentially the uh the events as they unfold for for you all this year and uh listen i, I look forward to uh you know keeping in touch with you and if there's uh anything i can do on my end as well uh please do ask and i'd love to have you come back on in a few months as well if you'd like and uh we can, we can pick up from uh this conversation and uh and go yeah. further Thank you, Adam. I love your show. Thank you for having us on. And Anytime. I look forward to our next conversation. You and me both. And I'll talk to you soon.
Take care.